I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, an NXT review podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week... We hit a flying double stomp on the episode of NXT that originally aired on November 13th, 2014. Well, I mean, that's what we normally do. But today, (laughs) today, Bob? Yeah. It's a triple stomp. Oh my god. Because Neil Butler is here. Hey guys. My bae is here. Hi bae. (laughs) It's good to be here. Welcome to episode 78 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, Finn Balor showed up for the first time. We didn't really talk about him all that much. (laughs) I mean, we talked about his dick because it's Finn Balor. We did did talk about his dick a lot. (laughs) I mean, that's the first thing you notice when Finn Balor shows up. But we might not exactly have gone into him as deeply as we could have. Oh, and we can go very deep into Finn Balor. I suspect we'll be talking about Finn Balor a little bit more on this episode, and here to help us do that, we are delighted to be joined by the first ever Next Wrestling Fan Federation champion, Neil (gasps) himself. Oh man. Thank you, Miles. Thanks. The man so nice he'd marry Megan Bob twice. (laughs) Aww. I would. Neil Butler. No regrets. Aww, thank you. (laughs) Given my track record with the dishwasher, that's very charitable of you, and I do appreciate it. I mean, the dishwasher's fine. The laundry, mm, that might be something else. Listen, don't talk to me about laundry, all right? It's it's a whole thing. Right. Our podcast is not about laundry. Our podcast is about wrestling. <laughs> Neil, we're so happy to have you on. And I've been wanting to have you on for a while. And one of the reasons I've been wanting to have you on for a while is because I have been dying to ask you the question that we always ask our guests on this show when the first time they come on. Because, like, we've talked about it a little bit, but I've never gotten the full, like, breakdown of what your relationship with wrestling is. Because I know you were, like, kind of into it and then lapsed and now you're back. Like, tell me about you and wrestling as an experience. I want to add to that. How the fuck did you get into wrestling in Ireland? And, like, what was Ireland's relationship with wrestling like in any way, shape or form at the time that you got into it? Okay, so this kind of starts back in... The late 80s, early 90s, when Rupert Murdoch's Sky Network came to terrestrial television in Ireland, Mm -hmm. they would show WWE on, well, WWF as it was at the time, Mm -hmm. on weekend mornings. That was something that I was in, I was, what, 13, 14 at the time, and a lot of my classmates were very into it. My parents didn't approve of it. (laughs) <laughs> we had one television in the house so it was only very occasionally we got to see like Hulk Hogan or Macho Man on the television I mean through my classmates also watching it I sort of gleaned some of it and then we kind of fast forward about 10 years around the turn of the century around 2000 
I was big into PlayStation and I had Smackdown Know Your Role <laughs> for the PlayStation and then Just Bring It for the PlayStation 2 after that. There was a guy I knew at work who later became my roommate who also played those games and we used to, you were able to export your character and have your created character on, on someone else's. Yep. Wait, is this Go Boy? Yes, that was Go Boy. <laughs> okay. I learned a lot about sort of the WWE wrestlers at the time from those games, like The Rock. One of my favorite things actually was when The Rock was doing the people's elbow. First, he'd pull off his elbow pad and throw it to the crowd and then go and do the people's elbow. And then the second time you did that move, he'd look at one elbow, notice the elbow pad was gone, look at the second elbow, <laughs> take that elbow pad off and throw it. <laughs> and then the third time he'd sort of look at one elbow, look at the second elbow, do a little shrug to the camera and then do the move. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah, that was pretty fun. So I also watched some wrestling at the time, but I didn't have consistent access to cable TV. So it was kind of few and far between, but I have some fun memories. I, I remember in particular a match where you probably remember this match where it was Kurt Angle against Brock Lesnar and Brock Lesnar concussed himself doing, I think it was a five-star, no, it was a shooting star press. A shooting star press. That yeah. was WrestleMania 19, yeah. Yeah, Kurt Angle had to carry him to victory in that match, which is <laughs> I thought was a fantastic achievement by Kurt. It was supposed to be the big finish of the match, because it was the main event of WrestleMania 19, and Lesnar was supposed to come off the top rope with this fucking <gasps> shooting star and like he's a big dude yes, who's like got everything is. going for him and like this was going to be the big monster thing it's like oh my god Brock Lesnar pulled off a shooting star press and I think he was supposed to like do aerial stuff more often after that but he he didn't make it he didn't get all the way over on the oh rotation and came down right on his neck <gasps> Holy and shit. I think broke it <gasps> But, like, still, they had to, like, salvage it, and he hit Angle with, like, an F5, which is a regular move, and then mm-hmm. pinned him and still won the championship as the finish. But I'm pretty sure he broke his neck. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Doing that move. Yeah, so for the early part of the 2000s, I was watching on and off. Then I kind of lapsed. And several years later, I was like, hmm, I wonder what my favorite wrestlers are doing. And I looked them up on Wikipedia, and Eddie Guerrero had died. Uh, sadly, and <laughs> I was just about to say, I'll bet most of them were dead. Yeah, and the other one, I'm not going to name him, but suffice to say, his Wikipedia article lists him as Canadian murderer and wrestler. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's correct. That's accurate mm-hmm. in that order. <laughs> and then this podcast started up and the rest is history. Bob and I have been watching a good amount of Chikara. We've been following AEW since... Pretty much the beginning. We've been watching bits and pieces of NXT, obviously, the old NXT from 2014. When you were talking, the two things that really struck me were your parents not approving, mm-hmm. because my parents still don't approve. <laughs> and like, now it's my career, and I'm sure they're very happy for me. They appear happy for me, but I think part of them are still like, really? This is what broke <laughs> you through, huh? This is what got you through into this job is fucking pro- Okay, whatever. Whatever, son. And then the other thing is the PlayStation 2 thing, because I just... I would love to do a poll 
and figure out like a nationwide poll or a worldwide <laughs> poll and figure out how many people learned about wrestling because of video games. Mm. <laughs> because like I got into it with like a buddy of mine who was into it and all that stuff. I've talked about it before, but I didn't get to know the world of wrestling until we started playing WWF No Mercy for the N64 with that same friend. And like we would play it and I'd be like, oh, who's this guy? And he would tell me, oh, who's this guy? And he would tell me it was like the lo-fi version of this show. <laughs> I remember my favorite creative character. He used quite a lot of uh, Jeff Hardy's moveset. Sure. You know, the flipping leg drop that Jeff Hardy did. I just recently he's come to AEW and I saw him do that and I just really had a visceral response to that. Just remembering yeah. <laughs> the character I created fondly. <laughs> so I happen to know your parents because we are married. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what the fuck was the? Why did they not approve? Now, I know that your grandmother didn't approve of I Dream of Jeannie because it was too sexy, <laughs> but I, I can that makes sense to me. What the fuck was your parents deal with wrestling? I don't know that they knew it wasn't real and i mean there was also i guess some of the irish newspapers were scaremongering about like kids watching this and jumping off mm. their house and breaking their necks that kind of stuff oh right. okay so it was kind of like a safety from dangerous media type thing yeah probably Okay, that makes sense to me. All right. But, but also it is sexy. We, we, it has to be admitted. Like, pro wrestling is also frequently sexy. Well, yeah. I mean, at the time, it was like Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, less sexy. Mm. Definitely less sexy yeah. than those two men. Unless you like a certain type of, like, level of bronzing, I guess. Mm. <laughs> like, I could see being into Savage. You oh, know? yeah. No, I can get it. Yeah. I, a savage makes sense to me. Like, I can understand that allure. Or like Steamboat, Ricky the Dragon. I can see oh, being a dude. Oh, well, yeah, that makes sense, too. But there's a lot of them where I'm like, I don't know. I have gone on some dives. This is kind of unrelated, but some dives into, like, older gay men's feelings about wrestling and what wrestling is sure. like now and what wrestling used to be like. And it's not that there's a fondness or this kind of nostalgia for the body types that were there back in the day, but like some level of going, they looked like regular guys and not these guys, but like there is some weird fondness for like a certain type of guy and then also a style of filming that has changed dramatically. I think because it's not as hold for hold anymore and it's not as like grapply, so it doesn't look as sweaty and sexy as it used to. And I was like, there is an interesting thing about that. No, it's so interesting. And, I, and we'll get back to your story in a second here, Neil. But this is so interesting to me because one of the major things, like one of the major sort of schisms in pro wrestling when sort of Vince McMahon first started doing his thing was that you had sort of the more traditional southern style of wrestling mm. in which like the toughest and the best guys were not like super muscular Adonises. They were like yeah. regular dudes. They looked like Dusty Rhodes or whatever. Yeah, like they were dudes with like flab and they yeah. were just like guys who, they're not going to win any Arnold contests, but, like, if you get into a bar fight with them, they're going to beat the shit out of you, right? Yeah. And then, like, the more northern, specifically northeastern idea, the Vince McMahon senior sort of idea of what wrestling should be and look like was very much more of the large, muscly, you know, your Paul Orndorffs and your, you know, your Hulk Hogan's and Billy Graham, you know, like, these like kind of bodybuilder types, and the fact that that vision of wrestling sort of won 
you know, yeah. and like dominated the culture for a long time, I think really informs a lot of wrestling history since then. You know, like a lot of what people long for, I think, like old school hardcore fans really want out of their wrestling is like sort of return to the more southern style and in a way i think that informs you know what a lot of people want aew to be and what aew is trying to be that's fascinating on that note neil i know that you're watching a lot of aew with bob i know that you've been watching you you've watched chikara and you're kind of like in general getting more into the wrestling scene as it exists today. Neil has bravely watched some TNA without me because I was like, <laughs> I had to go do other stuff. But Neil braved right, and braved right. some impact while I looked at my phone. I kind of have a fondness <laughs> for what the TNA I've seen. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's guys like Frankie Kazarian and Matt Seidel that I've seen wrestling like currently in AEW and seeing them back in their heyday is kind of fun. And also, you mentioned the style of taping. It does have a certain quality to it that reminds me of what wrestling looked like in the 90s. It probably was in the 90s, the TNA stuff, but yeah. The TNA stuff was like early to mid-2000s. At least that okay. was when it was good. It yeah. started in the early 2000s. Which wrestlers or which like storylines or like what in current wrestling are you super into right now? None of the storylines. I mean, there's a couple of storylines that have just sort of closed like Hangman's run with the AEW world title, mm-hmm. which has been a little underwhelming. I still think the best men's champion AEW has had has been John Moxley. There's a storyline I'm very excited about, and Bob will tell you how excited I was when it first started at the pay-per-view uh, last mm-hmm. weekend. You've got Jade Cargill, yeah. who's the women's TBS champion, and she has a faction called the Baddies, who are Red Velvet and Kira Hogan. An all-black women faction i'm very happy about it they are really good like kira hogan i believe was the impact women's champion at one point recently i think she won the title yeah i know she was big in impact for a while and i'm pretty sure she won the title their current champion is black too tasha steals mm, yeah. yes. yeah and red velvet i don't know if you're familiar with red velvet at all miles but i'm not really honestly she is fantastic she's a trained dancer her father was a boxer so obviously she knows how to box (laughs) right i mean you just inherit this stuff in wrestling right yeah (laughs) she is so graceful and she just has such perfect body control i just love watching her she's so good so we've got that faction, and then they were kind of scrapping with Anna Jay of the Dark Order and Chris Statlander in the sort of run-up to the pay-per-view. And then, oh my god, Miles, yeah. I was so yeah. happy. Athena showed up at the pay-per-view. Oh, I was watching, baby. I was watching. It was so good. I I, I love Athena. Neil screamed and I had looked away briefly and then the scream. Okay. So whenever William Regal showed up at the previous one, we both screamed mm-hmm. a lot. Neil screamed louder for this than I had ever heard him. Just, like, it was primal. It was beyond anything. So I was like, oh, holy shit. And Neil is wearing his Athena shirt at this very moment. Mm-hmm. I sure am. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Best part of that pay-per-view. Yeah. <laughs> for my money. <laughs> I was not a huge fan of Double or Nothing in 2022. I went to bed before the main events. Because <laughs> fuck that shit. You didn't really miss much. The ending was kind of oh. overwrought in a fun way, I thought. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it wasn't that great. 
No, come on. Thunder Rosa versus Serena D ruled. Well, that hmm. was, I saw that. That was cool. That fucking slapped. But yeah, the other shit I, I could have lived without. But anyway. Oh, yes. And there was the other storyline that I'm into is Julia Hart is. Yeah. I think she's only like 20. Yeah, she's 20. Yeah. She's a former cheerleading champion. She was with a tag team called the Varsity Blondes, who are, I mean, they're mid-carters at best. They had a brief feud with the House of Black, Malachi Black's faction, and she had got Malachi's black mist in the face. And she's been slowly, she's been wearing an eye patch since then and makeup on that eye. And she's been slowly becoming more and more healy. And she finally completely turned at the pay-per-view. And I was just so happy for her because she, I mean, a lot of her matches... She hasn't been on TV much except like accompanying the Varsity Blondes to the ring. She's been doing some yeah. great work on AEW's YouTube shows. I really like her. It's great to see her development. God, she's actually really good. Yeah. Like she started out kind of rough and now she put in the fucking work and she's good. This is where we're at. I can actually like have these conversations with you all and I know what you're talking about because I have to watch AEW now like for my <laughs> job. So I'm like, yeah, no, I saw Double or Nothing. That House of Black Death Triangle match fucking ruled. Yeah. I also love that for her. I love, you know, always here for an evil goth girl joining mm-hmm. the evil goth faction. Mm-hmm. Also, guys, it's like her three goth dads are raising her now. <laughs> <laughs> My only caveat to all of that is I never want to hear fucking AEW fans talk about how their booking is so much better than Vince's booking ever again, because that's a total Vince move. Uh-huh. That's exactly what he would have done is turn the fucking lights out and have her turn on them and do it. Oh, would it? Oh, okay. See, I don't know. I, I don't know enough about like WWE's other stuff to know, but like I, I believe you. You wouldn't lie to me about this. Alexa Bliss did the same thing like a year ago, oh, basically. Oh, so. okay. Okay. <laughs> I mean, at least we didn't get Pac puking up engine oil this time. Oh, Jesus. Indeed. Bob, do you have any more questions for your husband? Or do you just already know all the answers? (laughs) I definitely have questions. I know you have, like, deep feelings about Eddie Guerrero. How did you see Eddie Guerrero? Like, what matches are you... Like, was it just everything? Because you have such a thing for him. So, I'm not sure if this was SmackDown or Raw that he was on with the Canadian and Kurt Angle, but the three of them just had these wonderful feuds, these wonderful three-way... They were triple threat matches. They were like various combinations of two out of the three of them, and they were all Mm -hmm. like such very good technical wrestlers. Mm -hmm. And Eddie Guerrero in particular was also a really great showman. He was just captivating. He really was. And he'd come down to the ring. He'd often come down to the ring in like a a lowrider. Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was... That sort of Latino car culture was something I wouldn't have seen at all anywhere else in Ireland. So it was just like... Yeah, I can't imagine in Ireland like having a frame of reference for what that is. Yeah, exactly. It was just fascinating and captivating at the same time. That was SmackDown. And in fact, those three wrestlers, um, this is like early 2000s, right? Mm. Those three wrestlers, along with Edge, Chavo Guerrero, and Rey Mysterio, were unofficially known as the SmackDown Six. Oh. Because they were the three 
wrestlers who sort of at the time Paul Heyman was actually booking SmackDown and oh. those were like the six guys that he was like building everything around just them having great matches that's so, awesome yeah it was a great era look I will say Chris Benoit's name I understand what he did and that he's a monster and that history will always remember him as a monster he is also a great fucking wrestler I'm sorry he I, was so the, the thing I remember most was he had a match with Big Show yeah uh, now known as Paul White, AEW. But he used to do the trio of Germans a lot. And he did that to Big Show. And that I just could not believe. It was like, I was so devastated when that happened. Yeah, I mean, first when I found out he died at all. And then you find out the circumstances mm. of it. And it's like, Jesus. That I'm not going to repeat. If y'all want to know, you can Google it. You know, for me, I remember... Because he and Eddie in particular were the two guys in those early stages, like 2003, 2004, and even before that, back when they were in WCW, they were two guys that, like, everybody sort of had a collective understanding that these two deserve better. It's kind of like how everybody feels about Cesaro today, you Mm -hmm. know? And, like, imagine how you would feel if... And I know that WWE's, like, released him now or whatever, but, like, imagine how you would feel if the circumstances lined up in a way where Cesaro like won the Royal Rumble and went to WrestleMania and won the championship in the main event of WrestleMania. And like when he was fucking after he won, I don't know, Chris Hero, like who had also won a title earlier that night, came down to celebrate with them and be with him. Like that was what it was at WrestleMania 20 because Eddie was champion. He was WWE champion and he defended that title at WrestleMania 20 against Kurt Angle. And then the main event, Benoit wins the world heavyweight title in the triple threat. And I remember just thinking, like, this is just right. These two guys are embracing in the center of the ring. They're both champions. They're the most perennially underrated wrestlers in history to, like, constantly have just, like, people refused to let them have world titles and let them have main event status, even though they're phenomenal wrestlers. Like, for years, it's been going on. And finally, they did it, and they're on top. And then a year later, Eddie's dead. Yeah. And then four years after that, the whole thing with Benoit happens, and it's like, I don't know, man. I am understand why nobody wants to talk about him, hmm. but I'm just never going to forget that moment, and that's yeah. just a part of my formative wrestling experience, you know? I did actually want to ask Neil a cultural question. Mm-hmm. So how big was pro wrestling in Ireland? And then also what position did it like okay so i know that like american culture sometimes can hit one way or the other in any other place but wrestling in particular is such like a deeply american and such maybe too american sometimes (laughs) what was it like oh this is cool was it like this is for nerds like what was the tone or did no one care or talk about it I mean, I think it was relatively cool. I, there were certainly some people who'd be like American files. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the right word for that. What's the American equivalent of an Anglophile? Yeah, no. Uh... An idiot. I don't know. <laughs> 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 I mean, there's certainly people. There was definitely a lot of people who would have a deep love of American culture. America was throughout the 80s, like seen as this wonderful land of opportunity. And because there was Ireland politically in the 80s, especially in early 90s, it wasn't great. Ireland was a pretty poor country. And most young people grew up, I certainly grew up thinking I'd I'd have to emigrate eventually. And America was seen as, you know, this land of opportunity. So people would see American culture as superior and something to look up to. 
I guess to an extent, pro wrestling would be part of that. Obviously, Finn and Sheamus and Becky, they all would have seen WWE growing up. And obviously, they figured, oh, this is for me. So... Thank you, Bay. I also appreciate you. Like, look, that's not what this not what this show is about. But I do want to say, like, for the way that Ireland and like Irish culture gets positioned as this kind of like trinket, this kind of shiny thing in wrestling and like as a gimmick and stuff, I'm like, oh my fucking god, there's some things to know about Ireland's past and like not just like the history, but also like. Yeah, that they're that the exact time that that the WWE came to or the WWF came to Ireland is the time in which to grow up in Ireland is to go. I have to leave my country, the, the country I was I grew up in, because there is no economic opportunity for me here. I will like not ever be able to have a job. I will not ever be able to have a home. Like I have to leave my country. And like, mm-hmm. what a fucking thing that is. I mentioned before that Hulk Hogan was supposed to be Irish, right? Like, that was the character? Jesus. I don't remember that. Oh, God. That's awful. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's why he's named Hogan. <laughs> Originally, he was conceived as an Irish stereotype. Jesus Christ. <laughs> before he became, you know, a whole other thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. And arguably, what he became is less bad <laughs> than what that <laughs> could have been. Uh, mm. I don't know. I don't want to hear that. that. I don't want to hear that Irish accent. I don't want to hear it. Oh my gosh. Uh, actually, my cousin was in America on a J1 visa once, many years ago. He was fitting air conditioning in people's houses in Florida. One day he was fitting air conditioning for this large muscular tan man, and turns out it was actually Hulk Hogan. <laughs> my cousin didn't have a wow. clue. He found out later. Wait, was this Owen? Yeah, this was Owen. Of course it was Owen. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. Well, Neil's going to be right here with us all through Bob's breakdown, Mm -hmm. after which he will assist us in the sad task of ringing the bell for Mm -hmm. one of our beautiful friends here in NXT. He'll also help us work through the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. Join us in anointing one or more lucky performers with the vaguely metallic-smelling ointment that is the (laughs) Borance Olivier Award for Outstanding Commitment to the Bit. And we'll finish things off with another rousing edition of Guess the Gimmick. No wrestling term of the week this week. Bob's fanfic about blading will be presented on the next episode alongside a brand new cheap pop quiz. But of course, we do have to get the answers to last episode's cheap pop quiz. I'm rooting for you, babe. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. It's been a bit of a tough round for Bob. They currently still only have one point. Let's see if any progress was made on our last episode. Question number one. Which wrestler gets some color the hard way on the next episode of NXT? Was it A, Wesley Blake, B, Buddy Murphy, C, Alexa Bliss, D, Justin Gabriel, or E, Sami Zayn? Bob, you went with A, Wesley Blake. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is incorrect, unfortunately. The correct answer was C, Alexa Bliss. Oh, I think I missed it. Get some color the hard way. No? Nose was bleed all over her face. How did I not see that? <laughs> I didn't notice it either, to be honest, until I read about it. <laughs> Question number two. Next episode features the in-ring debut of Finn Balor. Who is his opponent? A. Tyson Kidd. B. He teams with Hideo Itami to take on Tyson Kidd and Justin Gabriel. C. CJ Parker. D. Connor. Or E. He teams with Hideo Itami to take on the Ascension. Bob, you went with that last one, the one about the Ascension. Not yet. 
turns out. In fact, he teams with Hideo Itami to take on Tyson Kidd and Justin Gabriel. So still no points on this one, Bob. (laughs) Going to question number three. Next episode's main event is an NXT championship match between Adrian Neville and Sami Zayn. How does that match end? A. Despite Sami's most courageous efforts, Neville beats him cleanly just like he did before. B. Neville does win, but he has to cheat to do it. C. In his desperation to win, Sammy hits a big aggressive move on Neville on the outside and appears to badly injure him. While Sammy checks on his friend, the match ends in a double countout and Neville is still the champion. D. Inside the ring, Neville misses a red arrow in that way he does and appears to be badly hurt. When Sammy comes over to check on him, Neville rolls Sammy up and pins him to retain the championship. Or E. Sami Zayn defeats Adrian Neville cleanly to win the NXT title. As we discussed on a previous episode, I knew you were never going to go for E with that question. (laughs) I just felt like I had to put it in there to keep everybody honest. You were tempted, Bob, to go with the the double countout. Yes. Um, But in the end, your keen instincts for this storyline prevailed. You selected D, the one where Neville misses the red arrow and appears to be hurt, and rolls Sammy up to pin him when he comes over to check on him, because he's a good dude, and you were correct. Thank you. Well done. Yay. Two points. Two points now for Bob. Well done. Good job. Thank you. I'd slowly... Inching closer and closer. Creeping, I was scraping these points together. My savings plan is very poor. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, there's not going to be any more opportunity to earn points on this episode, Bob. Unfortunately, there is an opportunity for you to serenade us with Bob's breakdown. Our commentary team for this episode is Rich Brennan, Jason Albert. Bad. It's bad. Alex Riley. It ain't great. One amusing little thing I found in my research, my many hours of research for this episode, Mm, Jason Albert, when wrestling in Japan, he once teamed up with Jushin Thunder Liger and Carl Anderson in a losing effort against Finn Balor, Hiroki Goto and Ryusuke Taguchi in the J-Sports Open Weight Six-Man Tag Tournament. Wow. Jason Albert at that point was known as Giant Bernard. Giant Bernard, folks. (laughs) <laughs> one of his many deeply silly names he's had over the years uh, but yeah first hand experience wrestling Balor that's for sure match one Finn Balor's entrance is good but I know it's going to get better we all know it's going to get better okay straight to both of you given how sexy that entrance gets by the end we've seen it on a scale of one to stare in open mouthed wonder at my bulge how sexy <laughs> is his current entrance would you say I liked that entrance. I liked the sort of balletic writhing he was doing on the on the mat. I thought that was really good. Mm. And I don't think he does that anymore. So I would give it at least an eight. Wow. I think, you know, it's pretty good. I think I'm, I'm going to give it like a six. I think I'm probably at a five or a six just because when he comes out with the leather jacket now and the little man panties... It's like, mm. and then does the like crotch display to the music. I do, it's very powerful. <laughs> I was very gratified to see that he was still doing the thing with his arms. Yes. Mm. Like in music. time with the music. I was like, wow, that was right away, huh? Mm-hmm. Cool. I love that bit. Okay, so 
big points because he does do one thing that I was like, ooh, very nice. He crawls up the ring steps. And I was like, love to see that. There's a vigorous Finn chant. And then we get that priceless Bray accent as Finn Balor picks up the mic. Neil, can you do a Wicklow accent and say, I'm here at NXT because I'm the future by any chance? My name is Finn Balor. And I am here because I am the future. Okay. Oh, beautiful. Nailed Thank it. You. So, Neil, I, I need to tag you in because I think this is really important that we need to talk about Irish accents because it's fucking complicated and it's this multifaceted <sighs> thing that has 8 billion iterations. And we have heard a couple of them in NXT. People sometimes get mad at me because I can't do an Irish accent despite having spent a lot of time there and despite being married to somebody from Ireland. And I'm like, no, you don't understand. There's so fucking many Irish accents. Like, there's so many more Irish accents than there are American accents in some ways. What are you talking about? It's easy. <laughs> it's easy to do a bad one. All right, Bay. <laughs> yes, Miles, we've heard you do that. Yes. All right, Bay. Yes, you have. Your thoughts on Seamus and Becky and Finn and all this. Well, the thing I really love about Finn's accent is I would have gone to school with a lot of guys from Bray, and I would have gone to school with probably 75% of them sounded exactly like Finn. (laughs) Seamus, I would say, has kind of almost a stage Irish accent. It's certainly not. Seamus himself is from North Dublin, and I don't think the accent we've heard him use in WWE is typical of North Dublin. Becky Lynch is from Castleknock, which is also North Dublin, but it's a slightly more Western area than Seamus. And I think her accent is probably pretty much what her natural voice would sound like. But Finn, I think, just sounds like himself. I think Becky and Seamus have more of a kind of showbiz background. Becky certainly went to acting school in Dublin. That's pretty much what I have to say about it. Crucial piece of context. North Dublin is like, quote unquote, the rougher part of Dublin. And Mm. so... Whenever you say that, like, we're not just saying like, oh, it's just a different part of Dublin. The implication is that you would have a rougher accent and let like Becky is doing a like tough girl from the streets a bit Dublin Mm -hmm. accent, not just like a random part of Dublin accent. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And well, actually, the thing about shame is that my sister-in-law, Neve, likes to point out I believe Seamus, in his early career in WWE, implied that he was from a tough part of Dublin, whereas mm-hmm. he actually grew up on the same the same street where Dublin's former Lord Mayor, a gay Joycean scholar, <laughs> also grew up. So, I don't know if David Norris was super tough or anything, but I mean, he, he doesn't really... He's got a very fey accent, so he doesn't get that impression. Have you seen any of the more recent stuff that Becky has been doing? Like, have you been catching any of her more recent promos at all? Her big time Bex stuff? Well, I'm wondering, did she change her accent at all for the big time Bex thing? I haven't heard any of that, so. All right, well, you should check it out and get back to me. Mm, Sure. Yeah, because I would wonder if she has, like, cleaned it up a bit, because, boy, there's times whenever she leans hard on her north side stuff, and I'm like, (laughs) oh, Lord, Mm -hmm. you're one of the girls I'd avoid at the bar. I'm a bit afraid now. <laughs> I do an excellent Irish accent, just so you know. Miles is lying. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. It's nope. Completely authentic. That is the worst bullshit I have ever heard. <laughs> okay. I don't know. I mean, you remember what's his name on Burn, Burn Notice? Notice? 
Okay, fine. Miles is one step up from the guy on Burn Notice. <laughs> All right. What is his name? Jeffrey Donovan is his name. Uh, at least I'm higher than Burn Notice. I hate that show. Hey, Bob and Neil, I got a little question for you. So I know okay. that like Finn showed up on the last episode and everything, yeah. but I, I've, I've been saving this here trading card for this one. <gasps> Thank if you. If you want it. I do, I do want a Finn trading card. So, Fergal Devitt, which is his real name. Yes. His real name is Fergal. It's a perfectly cromulent name. Absolutely. I'm, I've never laughed about it. <laughs> Fergal Devitt made his professional wrestling debut in England in 2002. Uh, by the time he won his first championship a year later, he'd already opened his own wrestling school. So that's how good he is. Jesus. Which trained, among others, Becky Lynch. In 2006, he made his debut in New Japan Pro Wrestling, which is the promotion that made him famous enough that his arrival in WWE was a big screaming deal. In New Japan, he was known as Prince Devitt, and in 2013, he became a founding member of the group known as the Bullet Club, Fuck yeah. which is still a thing in New Japan today, nearly a decade later. Mm-hmm. He was a three-time IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, a six-time IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Champion, and a two-time winner of the Best of the Super Juniors Tournament. Jesus. In 2014, he wrestled a big match against Kota Ibushi, in which Devitt wore full face and body paint, which became a thing he did for big matches for the remainder of his time in New Japan, though I have no idea why I'm telling you that. It doesn't seem that important, and uh, probably won't matter at all going forward. (laughs) Back to wrestling land. Tyson Kidd comes out, and he wants to start shit because that's what Tyson Kidd does and he's got Natty with him thank God because he has proper backup since obviously he has not been doing well for himself I mean he beat you know tiny chunk man but anyway Justin Gabriel comes out to help start additional shit and the theme of this shit is really like hold on now we've been around here we're cool and then you waltz in here and people are like, ooh, ooh it's Finn Balor. And, but also it is actually Finn Balor. So that, right. that's a bit like, but they're right, though. Like, they should be saying, ooh, Finn Balor. But anyway, the two get into the ring because they're going to corner him because they're like, I can't believe you came to this school. How dare you? And now everyone's had to go on the mic. And then Tommy's music hits and he joins Finn Balor in the ring. But this is not a match. This is just a friendly workplace argument. And surely nothing is going to come of this. This is just, you know, what's going to happen? What's going to happen is they're going to like scrap a little bit. The refs are going to pull them apart. And then there's going to be a big announcement that like next week, there's going to be this tag team match, not with William fucking Regal around. There is a ring announcer that tells us this match has now just been booked. And this is happening right this fucking second. Miles. Is this an NXT feature? Is this a WWE feature? Like, what the fuck? Because I've never seen this happen in AEW, and I've never seen this happen, I think, in, like, any other thing I've ever watched. Is this a William Regal thing? Like, is there a name for a match that we see booked live exclusively in the moment? (laughs) It's just a wrestling thing. If AEW doesn't do it, I'm assuming it's intentional because it's kind of a thing that WWE did a lot at one point. In particular, Teddy Long the longtime general manager of SmackDown used to... He became so well-known for making this a tag team match, player. (laughs) 
that it has now become a meme and it is very this is now a tag team match or like you know holla 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 it's a tag team match now it's like a thing now because of Tony Long <laughs> so it was kind of sort of a staple of WWE booking for a long time which is like there's two guys who are having a match and then like one guy comes out to fight the one guy and then another guy comes out to help and all of a sudden it's a tag team match now so yeah it's a very common WWE thing I don't think it has a name but it is uh, very strongly associated with Teddy Long who is okay. a delightful human being okay <laughs> there was a moment whenever we were watching older new NXT like from about a year ago a thing was going on and William Regal came out to make it like more of a thing and then somebody got pissed and he's like that's how it is, player. And then walked away. <laughs> yeah. That was delightful. Well, that was probably a reference. And I was like, yeah. why is everybody acting like that's the most, the burnest burn that's ever burned? And then Neil had to explain it to me. Yes. Okay. Ding, ding, ding. Balor starts off and Finn Balor is a fucking beast. Whenever it comes to the old kickies and flippies, he is flying with both feet at Justin Gabriel, driving him into the turnbuckle, and he's going to do a big old move. Turnbuckle. Thank you, turnbuckle. Bay, you want to? Turnbuckle. There you go. Hmm. So he's going to do a big old move and finish him off, but like a jackal, Tyson Kidd just drags away the fallen Gabriel. Maybe to eat later? Hard to say. Finn <laughs> is not having that, though, and flips over the top to the outside to take them both out. It's probably a tope con, etc., but I like to think of it as a tope con fuck you. <laughs> I can say fuck you in Spanish, but Spanish is highly contextual, and I cannot guarantee that I would be saying it in the correct way in that context. So if you out there can speak Spanish fluently and can tell me oh, how man. to appropriately say fuck you in that context, I would be very appreciative of that. Tope con fuck you might be a good episode name. <laughs> <laughs> Back from commercial, Finn gets to find out what it's like to be kicked by Justin Gabriel. Apparently it fucking sucks. <laughs> <laughs> So Gabriel trades him off to Kid, who trades him off to Gabriel, who does some dangerous freelance chiropractic work on Finn Balor's arm. And Balor escapes with a bicycle kick and tags Itami in. And just want to hit pause because this is a thing we do happen to actually know about Finn Balor. He played footy, but he also played Gaelic football. He did. I'm just very pleased that he played Gaelic football, even if it was for Dublin, probably. <laughs> oh, I don't think he played intercounty. I think he played like a school level. Oh, okay, fair enough. But it would have been representing Dublin, and I have feelings about that. No, it would have been representing his school. Oh, fair enough. Which was in Wicklow. Oh, you know what? You're right. Okay, fine. Mm -hmm. He's allowed. All right, Wicklow. You get it off. You Wicla. get off this time, Wicklow. The faces are looking good now, and they coordinate kicks to the fucking faces of their opponents, and Finn finishes everything off with a double foot stomp off the top rope to Justin Gabriel, who has to eat the pin, even though... This is tragic. His ring gear is the best ring gear. It's true. And no one has ever given one fuck about how beautiful and fashionable Justin Gabriel is. Not even Tyler Breeze. Life is very cruel sometimes. And I look... 2014. <laughs> you're almost over. Okay. 2015. If you're listening, if you're out there, if you can hear me, <laughs> Justin Gabriel is so beautiful and so fashionable. Can he have a feud with Tyler Breeze? Because they're both very beautiful and fashionable. Please. I'll keep that in mind. Okay. It's my request to the past. Backstage, Sami Zayn's thoughts heading into the match? Something about tonight is very different. This is destiny, and destiny doesn't make mistakes. And I went, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sammy. This is 
like someone in a film says, what could possibly go wrong? And I'm like, motherfucker. Like, <laughs> I get that this is supposed to be dramatic irony or whatever, but could you fucking not? <gasps> yeah. So match two, Alexa Bliss versus Sasha Banks. Sasha Banks enters with Becky Lynch in tow and Alexa Bliss enters with a real willingness to take her life in her hands. <laughs> This match is basically a, a highlight of Sasha Banks' cruelty, which is diverse, inventive, fashionable, and undeniably brutal. Alexa Bliss is acquiring a skill or two of her own, though, and does a thing where she pops off the ropes and then turns herself to land, facing away on Sasha's back, and then sunset flips Sasha to the mat. I need to turn directly to camera to say something really quick. Okay. Neve. I know your feelings about Alexa Bliss and maybe she's not as good of a wrestler, but watch this one. I think she can kind of do a wrestle. I think Alexa Bliss is all right. She's good in this one. Mm. She's good in this one. Okay. I love you, Neve. I think you're probably right. She hasn't been done well on other shows, but I think she did good on this one. She hits that fucking code red and I was like, good God. Yeah. Mm, and the head scissor takedown before it as well was very impressive. And the head scissor takedown and she gets like a mean clothesline in there. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty good match for her, all things considered. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so you'd be shocked at how little Sasha Banks cares for that from Bliss. She does her double knees to the back and locks in that neck-wrenching awfulness that is the bank statement, and Sasha then gets on the mic to tell Charlotte that this was all for her, which is a very romantic and a Hannibal Lecter sort of way. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> look at this murder I did. I did it for your attention. Don't you want to be with me since I did this sexy murder? And I'm like, well, kind of, yeah. I want you to be afraid, but also turned on by me. And she says that she deserves a match with Charlotte, or better yet, Charlotte just handing over the belt with no fuss. And I'm like, you fucking liar. You know you want to <laughs> wrestle your soft butch ex-girlfriend. Don't fucking lie. <laughs> She's just doing it because she wants the match. That's oh, yeah. why. She, only reason she said that. And then backstage, Adrian Neville gets another opportunity to say... Oh, that Sami Zayn can't win the big one. Babe, can you do a Newcastle accent? It's like an impossible one to do. Oh, well, you know, Sammy, uh, he just can't win the big one. We all know this. You know what? That's not a million miles <laughs> not away. Bad. Thank that's you. Not bad. That's not quite a Newcastle, but that's a so much fucking better than I could do it. It was like Newcastle mixed with Swedish in a yeah. weird way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Your willingness to do that for me, Bay, is beautiful. Thank you. He never does this at home, I'll tell you. If I asked for this, like, while we're emptying the dishwasher, I'd get a look. <laughs> I mean, anything for the fans. That's right. <laughs> Fuck, do I need to start a podcast just to get you to do fun voices for me? <laughs> Shit, I don't have time for another podcast. The Fun Voice Podcast. <laughs> Coming out every six months. <laughs> I know. It's a thing. I will put it together, say it's a podcast, and never release it. <laughs> <laughs> Adrian Neville's, you know, saying his thing. And then I need to make it very clear. Neville still loves Sami Zayn. It's very cute. I'm looking directly at you, the listener. I cannot overstate the extent to which they have or will definitely bang in the locker room at some point. This is mm. too important. Good point. Solid point. Now, is it going to be happy banging or angry banging? Stay tuned. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Lady Whistledown's match report. Yeah. Yeah. 
Messieurs Sin Cara and Callisto are in the position that so often happens to one with any sort of reputation amongst the Ton. They have been asked to dance with partners who that are perhaps less than thrilling to tete-a-tete with. <laughs> it must be said that Mr. Blake and Murphy are certainly willing to make their suit heard by working over Monsieur Callisto as much as they can, but Monsieur Callisto dedicates his attention to trying to escape. A position that many a young lady of the ton can sympathize with when matched with a less than thrilling dance partner. Mr. Blake goes so far as to bodily restrain Monsieur Callisto in a most compromising position, sure to set many tongues wagging. The problem with Monsieur Callisto is that he's quite simply irrepressible, even at his most beset. He does one move in which he dances up the rope and tumbles over with a corkscrew to fell an opponent on the outside. This author nearly fainted. This feat opens up Sin Cara for claiming both victory in the match and in avoiding tiresome ballroom conversations. Although it must be said that Mr. Blake and Murphy are rapidly becoming a more compelling pair. Mm. Perhaps not compelling enough to accept a turn around the ballroom with them, but in another month or so, well, one never knows, does one? Hmm. Thank you, Lady Whistledown. Absolutely. It must be said, I think there are very few in the town who would have a décolletage to match Monsieur Murphy's. Oh, ah. boy, that's true. <laughs> Murphy has some titties. <laughs> Backstage, the vaudevillains are adorable. They are number one contenders and want to draw a distinction between being a child versus being a man. They do not share any details on what that means, but they do want to draw that distinction. <laughs> They're like, just so you know, there's a difference. I'm like, great. Good, noted. <laughs> Crucially, though, fuck the rest of this promo. It doesn't really matter, except that we get to see how cute they are. Simon Gotch can talk. And it's so cute. It's so fucking cute. He says a sentence and it's good. And Aiden English looks so proud of him. I know. That's what love is. <laughs> yeah. Get you a man who looks at you like Aiden English <laughs> looks at Simon Gotch when he says a sentence. <laughs> it's almost as impressive as if Sin Cara from the Scooby-Doo cartoons had said a sentence. Oh, so, oh man. All the bees would be so proud. <laughs> Main event. It is the romantic courtship for the NXT championship between Sami Zayn and Adrian Neville. Match. I'm sorry. It's a match, I guess. <laughs> Fucking match. Whatever. <laughs> they pull some opening shenanigans and Sammy bests Neville for a second, sending Neville reeling. And the camera zooms in on Neville's face and he's like, okay, you know what? That was pretty hot. And I'm like, buddy, <laughs> buddy, it was real fucking hot. Neville ends up on the outside and Zane does this fake out leap to the outside butt bounce and Neville moves cautiously around the outside and Zane, ever the gentleman, holds open the rope for Neville who looks like he's gonna accept and be like, okay, babe, like I'll, I'll come back in the ring. But then he flips over the top rope instead and I was like, you cad. But also remember, this is all part of the give and take. This is all part of the flirtation, the frisson of their dynamic, okay? <laughs> Sammy spends some time in rest hold mode, but forces Neville to the outside and does his flying starfish for reals before dragging Neville back in, but he does drag him in in like a sexy way. So, okay, 
So you know that spot that they biffed the last time they did a wrestle where Neville was supposed to end up on Zane's shoulders and get Blue Thunderbombed? Yep. It worked out this time. They don't biff it this time. It worked out so dang good, and it's very brutal, but also it was like, oh, it worked out. They did a good. I'm so happy for them. Zane then suplexes the absolute shit out of Neville, who kicks out nonetheless. And look, sometimes relationships are complicated. We're all married people here. We know this. You cannot keep the champion down, though. Like, literally, you, he will not stay on the ground. That's just... <laughs> he hates the ground and won't stay there. I mean, gravity would have to remember you to keep you on the ground. <laughs> so he gets Sammy on the mat. He heads for the red arrow. But Sammy rolls out of the way, and Neville lands hard, clutching his left knee in misery. Sammy hesitates. He's thinking he's going to wait until Neville gets up and then he's just going to kick him in the face. But Neville's not getting up. He's just grasping his knee in pain. So Sammy's like, okay, fine. I mean, I really, you know, I'm going to go check on him because maybe this is a, a bad thing. So he goes over to check on his friend. Neville fucking pounces, getting Sammy into a pin and ending the match. Oh, Miles, this kind of fake out. Does it have a name? I don't think so. Is it an unambiguously heel move or is it considered like a smart wrestling move? In this case, I would say it's not an unambiguously heel move. And here's why. Okay. Because after he does that, Neville is still selling the knee. Yeah. Like after he wins the match, he's still going like, oh, no, my knee is hurt. Yes. So like if it was an unambiguously heel move, what you'd see is the heel like dancing and prancing around and showing <laughs> that they were never actually injured. and It was just a trick. You know what I mean? Okay. They're not going to be that blunt and like awful about it in this one. Like not that there's not a place for that, but like the right move clearly was no I maybe he actually was hurt mm. and it's your fault Sammy it's your fault for letting your guard down for a second <sighs> and like, even though Neville was hurt you still can't be doing that right if you want to win the big one you got to be cutthroat and you can't just like go check on your friend when he's been clearly legitimately injured because you rolled out of the way of his move. <laughs> it's the opposite of unambiguous heel work. It's very ambiguous. It's not even necessarily heel work. It's just, you know, again, Neville is being opportunistic and Sammy is not. Okay. As you've said, Neville is the only one who actually knows how wrestling works yeah yeah is this kind of move where somebody does a fake out even though it's like comes from a real place is this a special occasions good china fancy silverware kind of thing or is it far more common than nxt and AEW have led me to believe i can't think of another example of this oh really like not off the top of my head anyway i, I can't think of another example where i was like oh yeah that's where so-and-so did it like You'll see this kind of thing pulled out more often unambiguously when it's a heel, like, faking an injury, legitimately faking an injury. Oh. But this is way more complex than wrestling usually gets. <gasps> this is storytelling. Yes. Narrative. In a way that wrestling usually isn't and doesn't usually need to be. But, like, in this case, you know, that's what it is. Nice. That's just giving me an idea. Since you said storytelling, Miles... If White Wolf were to make a game about wrestling, what would it be called? Jesus Christ. <laughs> Along the lines of like Vampire the Masquerade or... Right, right, right. Yeah, I was trying to think of like... I was trying to think of like, you know, like noun the something. Grappling the bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> wrestling the kayfabening. 
I was gonna say it would be like like heal the kayfabe or something like that. <laughs> you know what? I will poke Chris Newton about this at some point and see yeah, if I please can do. get an answer of like what the White Wolf Wrestling game name would be called. Chris Newton would come up with some bangers, I have no doubt. Mm-hmm. It's Chris Newton and Claire who like you call upon them and you get a list. It's yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Neville fondly ruffles Sammy's hair and then limps to the corner as the camera lingers on the face of Sammy Zane, who can't fucking believe he fell for that. And I was like, don't feel bad. Love makes fools of us all, baby. Yeah. So true. And that's how it ends. I know. Well, thank you so much for that breakdown, Bob. What did you think of this episode overall? Loved seeing Finn Balor. That tag match was kind of nothing. Although I like Tyson Kidd and I liked everybody in it, but I was like, I don't care about this tag match. The women's match was good. I struggled to care about even... I love Lucha. I want to make it clear. I fucking love Lucha, but it is difficult to get hyped about the tag team stuff whenever it's clear that NXT doesn't care about it that much. But obviously the... Sammy Neville shit is just gold. It's so good. It's so good and the emotional payoff hurts. It burns so good, baby. Neil, what did you think about this episode watching it? Like, what were your thoughts overall? I thought it was pretty good. I really liked the tag match, the the opening tag match, Finn and Hideo against Tyson and Justin. I loved them as wrestlers and that's probably my favorite type of wrestling, the sort of slightly undersized technical guys who can do flying stuff but also do sort of completely brutal stuff yeah it was interesting the version we watched on peacock had uh, that little Seamus bullying psa in the middle (laughs) yeah that kind of drew a comparison for me like Seamus is an irish wrestler Whereas Finn Balor is a wrestler who just happens to be Irish. Yeah. My good friend, Ben Kessler, who isn't listening to this because he doesn't listen to podcasts very often. That's okay. We love you, Ben. He is British, actually part Irish too, but he's primarily British. And he has always talked about Regal in that same sense. He said that Regal is like the only wrestler he can remember from back in the day who like his gimmick wasn't that he was British. He was a wrestler who happened to be British. Hmm. Oh, yeah, okay. And also a manly man. Also a very manly man, yeah. (laughs) The interesting thing to me about that tag team match, not that I want to spend too much time on it, is that, and I think for the first time since Hideo showed up, it's very much like, oh shit, it's it's Kenta and Prince Devitt are here in NXT. Oh. I think it's very interesting that they're sort of like the vanguard, those Mm. two guys, where it's like, NXT is really going to be a place where the big indie stars come to do WWE wrestling, right? They're kind of the first ones where the other wrestlers like Tyson Kidd and Justin Gabriel are starting to look around going, wait a second. Yeah. (laughs) We've been here the whole fucking time. What are you doing? You just like showed up here. (laughs) And that's going to be a a prevailing motif in NXT going forward. And I thought it was very interesting to see it happen for the first time here. Another thing I found interesting was when Hideo first showed up, they said, it's Kenta, but now he's going to be Hideo. Whereas with Finn, they did the same thing as they did with Sammy. Yeah. It's like, it's that famous star that you've all heard of, Finn Balor. 
And he'd never gone by Finn Balor until he came to WWE. Right. I don't really know what to make of that, except for, like, it did feel like a bigger deal than Sammy, because Sammy just kind of showed up and he was like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> and he was doing it earlier where, like, everybody was kind of showing up saying, hey, I'm, hey, I'm here. It was a thing. And, you know, Sammy, of course, even more unrecognizable. Like, you know, he's most recognizable as El Generico, so he's wearing the mask and everything. Mm-hmm. Um you know, so with Finn, I think it was more of a, you know, he was really, really popular at the time. So, like, him showing up at all was a huge deal. As far as why they didn't do the whole, like, here's Prince Devitt and now they're doing a name change, I'm wondering if it was, like, a legal issue with New Japan mm. where they couldn't actually say it. You know what I mean? Whereas maybe Pro Wrestling Noah had, like, looser restrictions on that kind of thing. So, I don't know. I see what you're saying. I'll yeah. just say that, like, it strikes me as sort of a bigger deal than Sammy's debut in NXT. That sort of thing, it kind of reminds me of there's a wrestler who went by Ben Carter. He trained at Seth Rollins School. He had one match at AEW that was very impressive, actually, and then he went back to England. This was during the pandemic. He turned up at NXT UK, and he's been having some very good matches there, but not long after he arrived... (laughs) <laughs> they had him change his name to Nathan Fraser, and he had this big long spiel about how Nathan Fraser was like the name of the new man he was becoming and it was <laughs> it was just kind of a ridiculous excuse for WWE to change his name so that they could trademark it <laughs> God, especially to go like, no, no, Nathan Frazier is who I really am. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Okay. They've had a strange and continually evolving relationship with the idea of changing indie wrestlers' names when they come in. And we'll talk more about that as we move through NXT, especially in 2015. So the women's match... It was short and sweet, and as we mentioned before, I thought Alexa Bliss really made the most of her brief offense. Lucha Dragons versus Murphy and Blake, that was fine for what it was. The main event, obviously, it was all Sammy's continued road to redemption. Neville's, was it a heel move or not? Right. That was a lot of fun. That's good shit. All right, well, we're going to get to the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling in just a second, but first, we have to ring the bell. Oh, no. Megan Bob, do you remember... A little while ago when you were asking the past for a favor. Yeah. You had a request of 2015 that related to Justin Gabriel. Yeah. Unfortunately, we are ringing the bell on this episode for Justin Gabriel. No. He's so beautiful and good. He's my good, hot Aragorn boy. Yeah, well, this is his final televised appearance here in NXT, and in fact, he only has nine more televised matches left in his WWE career after this. He reportedly quit the company in January 2015. From there, he went straight back to the indies and returned to using his original name, PJ Black. Mm -hmm. He worked for Global Force Wrestling and subsequently for TNA slash Impact Wrestling, and he's done some stuff for companies like NWA and Evolve, but his best-known televised role post-WWE came in Lucha Underground, where he formed the Worldwide Underground Stable with Johnny Mundo and Jack Evans as the Darewolf PJ Black. <laughs> Don't leave Taya out. She's great. No, absolutely. Apparently, he tried to get the idea of a daredevil werewolf <laughs> as a character over with Triple H and NXT, and Triple H wasn't having it. Aww. The three of them would win the Lucha Underground Trios title, though, so good job there. 2018, he started working for Ring of Honor and uh, actually signed an exclusive deal with them in 2019. He's been there ever since, with his most recent match taking place at Final Battle 2021. 
That, of course, was Ring of Honor's last match before taking a hiatus until it was purchased and relaunched by AEW president Tony Khan earlier this year. And all the wrestlers were released from their contracts at the end of the uh, the previous ownership. So I believe technically he's no longer under contract to Ring of Honor. He didn't compete at Supercard of Honor 15, which was technically the final ROH show presented by the previous owners. He's recently talked about joining AEW and Khan's ownership of ROH combined with the recent AEW debut of Johnny Elite make the idea of Black becoming all elite in the not-too-distant future seem somewhat likely, and I definitely hope to see him there at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be nice. All right, well, with that, let us get into the sight sounds and feels of pro wrestling. Megan Bob, in this episode, what did your elf eyes see? My elf eyes saw Justin Gabriel, but my elf eyes saw what (laughs) Justin Gabriel was wearing when he came out to start shit. He was wearing a cyber dog t-shirt. Oh, yeah? What's that? Neil, you're going to have to explain what cyber dog is. I'm going to do a bad job. Yeah, I, I think he's worn that shirt a couple of times now on NXT. Cyber dog, it's a clothing brand and a store in Camden, London, England, specifically in the Camden market, which is a very sort of multicultural kind of subculture hotbed of stuff. <laughs> There's <Yeah. laughs> lots of different stores there. Cyberdog, it's kind of like a, a 90s nightclub, to be honest. They're always playing like sort of club music and the lights are always quite dim and they have like multicolored lighting effects. It's just a kind of cool little place. It's like if you went to a cyberpunk rave to go buy your underwear. (laughs) It's so weird. There's a lot of black lights. Almost everything is black lights and almost everything is like weird shit that you can only wear at a cyberpunk rave. Okay. Or really cyber goth, maybe? All right. Interesting. Cool. I was just like, ah, Justin Gabriel, you know how to party, baby. I bet your (laughs) underwear are weird as fuck and glow in black light. (laughs) Miles, what did your elf eyes see? Sort of a more general note. Is this like overall the hottest episode of NXT we've had yet? In terms of just like sexy people? Yeah, because, like, you got Finn. Yeah. You got Hideo. Yeah. Tyson probably doesn't counter this total, but you have Justin Gabriel. Yes. And Natty. And Natty. And Natty and the outfit that Natty's wearing. Good God. Yeah. Little peplum tops, real cute. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. Then you got Sasha. You got Alexa. You have the Lucha Dragons. I think there's something to be said for Blake and Murphy, particularly Murphy. Oh, yeah. And then you have Sammy and Neville and the Vaude villains show up for an appearance. Like, it's just I think the concentration of hotness in this episode is like 98 percent. It's insane. You know what? I think you might be right in terms of overall hotties. I would not say, okay, I'm going to draw a distinction. It is the hottest episode. It is not the sexiest episode. Mm. I agree with that. I agree with that. I'm speaking about pure hotness here. No, you're correct. This with the hotness quotient here is extremely, some might say dangerously high. Hey, Bay, what did your elf eyes see? My elf eyes saw actually a sign in the crowd, which said, Adrian Neville thinks Greedo shot first. Oh, I saw that. <laughs> that got me thinking. I mean, what does it mean? Greedo Shop First was a change, a very controversial change among the fandom that George Lucas made to Star Wars, the first Star Wars film, in 1997. 
I don't know what that means. Are they suggesting that Neville is in some way a company man or something? That he's just doing what he's told? I think it's an anti-Neville side. I think is what oh, it yeah. is. I think yes. it's like it's yeah. making a. Yeah. But in what way is it an anti-Neville? It is an anti-Neville side. But I'm I like, mean, what argument are you putting forward? I think the argument being put forward is only a monster would believe that Greedo shot first. Oh. Only an absolute scumbag lunatic. Right. I mean, I don't fucking care about Star Wars, so I don't know. Well, I did some research, and the only thing I could come up with for Greedo Shot First and 2014 is that in 2014, Harrison Ford did a Reddit AMA, and somebody asked him, did Han shoot first? And Harrison replied, I don't know, and I don't care. Yeah! Oh, my hero! Because mm-hmm. he's the fucking baddest-ass motherfucker in the world. Beautiful. Seriously, Star Wars fans, I <laughs> beg you to get the fuck over yourselves. <laughs> I have, like, at this point, I am on my knees. Just stop taking yourself so fucking seriously. I'm a wrestling fan telling you this. Megan Bob, what did your Vulcan ears hear? Was there an ECW chant during the women's match? Yes, there was. Why was there an ECW chant during that? Like, because Alexa Bliss was bleeding. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I won't say it's understandable that you didn't notice because I thought it was pretty obvious, but I'm pretty sure it was when Sasha, because I went back and checked and like to see if I could tell when it was happening. At one point, Sasha comes off the ropes and doesn't do anything big, but just like slaps her. Oh. And I think she broke her nose on that <gasps> slap. Oh. Or, or like did something like maybe not like full on broke, but like I think she hurt her nose because after that, Alexa is like keep continually checking on her nose and like it starts bleeding and it's running down like into her mouth. <laughs> so oh. that is the uh, accidental hard way blood that uh, I mentioned in the previous episode. I'm sorry I missed it. Miles, what did your Vulcan ears hear? <sighs> So commentary. Hmm. Brave of you to go there. Look, we've been avoiding it for the past few episodes. I'm not we sorry. I'm not apologizing. Commentary was bad. I know, but we have to at some point say, so as we record this, I have just finished editing episode 74, which is the episode we had Annie Creighton on for. Yes. And in that episode, I gave my Borance Olivier Award for outstanding commitment to the bit to Alex Riley, because mm-hmm. Alex Riley did a really good job in the main event selling the stakes for Sammy and like actually coming around by the end of being like, actually, you're right. Sammy apparently could win a match. I guess I stand corrected. And ever since then, he's just been garbage. Uh-huh. They just, it's like they heard that, what I liked about what he was doing, and told them to never do it again. Fair enough. He's Every match after that, he's been like, oh, Sammy can't win the big one. Then when he does, he's like, well, that doesn't prove anything. <laughs> it's like, it's just all complete bullshit. I hate it. And like, there's a lot of bad moments in this commentary track throughout this episode, including at least one moment of sexism, which at this point, I'm just like, I just expect, even if Renee's oh, out there. Yeah. But in the main event, it's unconscionable like they get the story of the match wrong like and Riley in particular is the one who does it because that match starts off with Sammy like in control and like getting the better of Neville in all these different ways and continually having the upper hand and Neville got this look on his face like how is this happening right what is going on here right now and when Sammy does the thing you talked about where he like opens up the rope so Neville can get in and then Neville flips over like fuck you Uh at that point that's when Neville is like fuck this 
Like, this is my match now. I'm not just, like, gonna sit here and lose to Sami Zayn. Screw this. And he takes over the match completely by being Adrian Neville and being awesome. And Riley sells it like Sami made a mistake. <sighs> like, Sami's, like, style of wrestling led him to be reckless, and that's why Adrian Neville is now in control of the match. And it's not what happened. And if you were any good at your job, you would be calling <laughs> that differently and telling the actual story that the talent, the wrestlers, are trying to tell in the ring and doing a better job than you're doing with words you dumb shit nice you hear that alex riley you're bad sorry no it's all right hey babe what'd your vulcaneers here it was kind of subtle i don't know if you guys picked up on it at all but i heard sammy zane he's on some sort of a road to redemption <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i missed that that's it guys that's all i have you just heard the phrase road to redemption over and over again that's fair yeah <laughs> I mean, I was going to say EC Dub, but you got it. Oh, babe. I'm sorry, babe. <laughs> I'm sorry I stole your bit. Neil ran that by me beforehand, and when you said it, I was like, oh no, what's Neil going to talk about? I'm sorry, babe. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's okay. WWE really beats some shit into the ground. They are very good at being like, oh, is this phrase interesting and cool? Here, would you like to hear it 500 times? Mm-hmm. I can't believe it's not on a t-shirt yet, but it probably will be by the time we get to fucking... I actually don't think it ever makes it onto a t-shirt. NXT is terrible in their t-shirt game. NXT's t-shirt game sucks and has always sucked, and I don't understand why. Miles, my Io Shirai t-shirt would beg to differ. All right, well, fair enough, fair enough. Okay, there's the one There's the one good shirt. I mean, there's some good ones. There's some good ones. I got a couple, too, but uh, not many, man. Not many. Not the ones you want, like the Road to Redemption shirt. That would yeah, be cool. Right? It would have been cool if it had, like, tour dates on the back. That would be would so fucking cool. Oh, man, we could anyway. make that. We could have merch. That's a bad idea. Oh, that would be illegal. But anyway. Yeah, that's mm. true. That's true. Sami Zayn would approve, though. I mean, not of us doing if we donated all the money to Syria, then he'd be cool with it, which is what we should do. Yeah, absolutely. Megan Bob, what did your human heart feel? Adrian Neville ruffling Sami Zayn's hair. (laughs) That was such a choice. And I'm not even going to say like romantic or anything. I don't know what I felt about it, but I felt it loudly and I felt it a lot. It was a very strong acting choice. I agree. All right, Miles, what'd your human heart feel? On a similar note, Sami Zayn's face. Just that blank stare. Jesus. As Neville is like, yeah, good job. Good match, man. I appreciate you. (laughs) Just like the depths of despair and like, it's the look on your face when you know you've done the right thing and it's not going to get rewarded and you you hate yourself so much for being a good person. That's what that look conveyed on his face. And it's brutal. It's worse than the Tyson Kidd thing when they announced that he didn't have any more championship (laughs) matches. Like it's just that times 200. Oh God, it's so true. Hey, babe, what did your human heart feel? My human heart felt, well, this harkens back to what I was talking about at the start of the episode. So during the episode, there's an ad, John Cena reciting Dylan Thomas ad for WWE 2K15. And right after it, it cut to the crowd. And there was a guy in the crowd wearing the classic Cactus Jack shirt. And I just had this strongest sense of nostalgia for just this one time I remember hunched over my computer on dial-up late one night looking at a Game Facts article on how to recreate various wrestlers 
on the SmackDown game. And there was this specific article, I remember, how to make Cactus Jack and all the specific shapes and exactly the right oh, uh, wow. color. That's beautiful. And the right angle to make that shirt. That's beautiful. <laughs> so that is what my human heart felt. Oh, I remember when I was younger. <laughs> I love it. I That's love so it. sweet. All right. Well, those were the sight sounds and feels of pro wrestling. It is now time to bestow upon one or more wrestlers the extremely prestigious Borens Olivier Award for outstanding commitment to the bit. So, Megan Bob. Who gets your Lawrence Bolivier Award for this episode? How can I not give it to Sami Zayn after that fucking face journey he gives us at the end of the episode? It's so rich. It's pretty good. Like he goes through all the stages of grief in a minute. It's exceptional. So how can I? I just can't. I can't give it to anybody else. It's a strong choice. Miles, who do you give your Lawrence Bolivier Award to? (sighs) Okay, so in my opinion, like, there's like three strong contenders here. One of them is the one you mentioned, Bob Sami Zayn. Another one is Adrian Neville, because I think just the bit being that if he misses the red arrow, he's completely fucked. Mm-hmm. I love that about him. It's been one of my favorite things about going back and watching these old episodes of NXT is just how committed he is to being like, no, if I don't hit you with this, I'm done. That should be the winner, but it can't be because there's another winner. Mm-hmm. And I'm giving my Lawrence Bolivier Award to the referee <gasps> for the main event. Oh. Because let me tell you, the referee bit, I don't even know this guy's name. I didn't even bother to look it up. I don't even know if I could if I tried. That's like, because the referee bit is to be unobtrusive until it's time to make the pin, right? Or until it's time to t- say the match is over. Or to like get knocked over or miss something obvious or in some way act like an idiot. That's what referees do in wrestling. And this referee, upon Adrian Neville missing that red arrow and apparently injuring himself, checks him out, determines that he's hurt, throws up the X, which by this point they're using in kayfabe storytelling because everybody has figured out that when the referee throws up the X, it means someone's actually hurt. So it doesn't mean that anymore. (laughs) Throws up the X to inform that he's really hurt. He's really injured. We're going to have to, like, stop this match because Adrian Neville can't go. And then just, like, counts the pin when when (laughs) Neville rolls Sammy up. And it's just like, oh, my God, you are useless as a human. You are the dirt worth. Why would you just count? Oh, God, I guess he's fine. I guess I'd better count. (laughs) Like, it's the dumbest thing in the world. And because of that, it is quintessential to the bit that is being a wrestling ref and I just really wanted to shout him out for that so good job whoever you are (laughs) so that's interesting because I thought the ref was just signaling he liked CM Punk oh my god (laughs) it was worth the time for it babe what about your Lawrence Bolivier award I decided to give my Lawrence Bolivier award to someone who we haven't really spoken about at all in this episode I know the the Lucha Dragons are kind of working hard to try and get into the hearts and minds of the NXT universe and they're getting there slowly I think I don't know if they'll ever get there but I wanted to give my Lawrence Bolivier award to Callisto for his springboard tope con flecha roja as I decided to call it (laughs) jumping off the top rope and doing that flippy spinny thing I thought it looked like a red arrow where he like just kind of like 
gracefully like falls off of it to the outside. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah, he's really showing his commitment to Lucha, just doing the most ridiculous things to try and win over the audience. So, good job, Kalisto. Oh yeah. Good job, Kalista. This was a strong crop for Lawrence Bolivia, I gotta say. Yeah, I agree. Alright, y'all. Well, we're coming to the end of our show. But there's one last thing we have to do. Mm-hmm. We do it almost every time we have a guest on these days. And that is play a little game that we like to call Guess the Gimmick. Okay. So uh, for this edition of Guess the Gimmick, Neil is going to be joining me on the explainer side of things. Bob, I'm actually in a bit of a departure from usual Guess the Gimmick for various reasons. Instead of having you Google image search this name, I'm going to send you some pictures. Okay. The pictures are of a wrestler by the name of Mike Rotunda. This is a specific gimmick that Mike Rotunda did. All right, Bob, tell me what you think of Mike Rotunda in these pictures. I'm looking at the world's, like, swollest uh, tourney. He has little glasses on, little, like, half-moon glasses. He's got red (laughs) suspenders, white button-down, but, like rolled up sleeves so that way he looks real fucking tough and you can see his guns he's got usually a red tie with some swirls and stuff on it i think he might have a little gross ponytail he has pretty good hair though he has black slacks on and that are being held up with these red suspenders and sometimes he's carrying a briefcase but he's got like his hands together sometimes and he's like, yeah. And then he's got his fingers together like, I'm going to get you that money, baby. And then one time he's pointing at the camera going like, you are going to be in the court of law because you suck. And he's weirdly hot. I don't know how I feel about that, but he's weirdly attractive in this like shitty greaseball <laughs> way. I think with those little glasses, he kind of looks like You know the guy who does all those patriotic paintings of presidents doing cool shit? Oh, yeah, totally. He looks like if someone did a painting like that of Chuck Schumer. (laughs) Okay, I like that. (laughs) So, Bob, you're saying he's a lawyer. Yeah. So that is not quite accurate. In fact, Mike Rotunda's character here is a tax collector. Oh, which, of course, he would have a briefcase to keep all the taxes <laughs> in. all the tax money in. Um, and uh, he wasn't actually called Mike Rotunda at this point, Bob. He was called IRS. Oh. And that was actually an acronym. Can you have any guesses as to what IRS might have stood for? Irving Roy Stanhope. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Uh, you were actually close with the first name. Neil, do you want to tell your wife what IRS stands for? IRS stands for Irwin or Shyster. Beautiful. So the or might stand for Roy. I don't know that we... It might. You might have been right about that yeah, one. Okay. We're not sure. But yeah, Irwin R. Scheister. That's <laughs> fucking perfect. And this was a guy who was uh, wandering around the World Wrestling Federation in the early 90s, like 91 to 95, I think, round about there. And yeah, he was a fucking tax collector. He would like harass <laughs> the wrestlers and call them all tax cheaters. 
<laughs> That's fucking great. And just like yell at fans about like taxes and economic stuff because everybody hates paying taxes. So he was the ultimate heel. And if you're wondering whether or not he had a finishing move called the write-off, yes. <laughs> yes, of course he did. <laughs> what is wrong with you? He also did a Simone drop he called the stock market crash. Ah, oh, that's... Is that true? Yeah. That's amazing. Well, I mean, according to the internet, so... Okay, fair <laughs> enough. That's fucking rad. Was he a good wrestle? I don't really have a strong opinion on him either way, because he's not really my era, so I haven't seen much of his stuff. Like, early 90s WWF is it's kind of a rough period of time, to be honest. I do know that he had a tag team with Ted DiBiase, the Million Dollar Man, called Money, Inc. And oh, that makes sense. They were the tag team champions a couple of times. But in terms of whether or not he was actually good, I couldn't tell you. I will tell you this. He was good in terms of his legacy. Oh, because he's the daddy of like two of the babies. He is the daddy of two of the babies. He is the daddy. And I, I think it's so funny that you described him as like kind of weirdly hot in that strange way because he is the father of Bo Dallas and Bray Wyatt. That's beautiful. Big shout out to Michael Benedict Coleman who submitted. Thank you. Iris. A while back. It took us a while to get to it, Michael, but really appreciate that. I was very excited to have Bob guess what brand of fiendish white collar person this was and get a look at Bo and Bray's daddy there. Yeah. I think someone should bring back that gimmick. I think they could be a huge face in WWE when he comes to audit fucking uh, Vince McMahon. He's like, oh, okay, so you cut all these wrestlers for (gasps) financial reasons. Let's see what your accounts look like. That could be a great gimmick. Oh, Oh, I love that. Like the ultimate like. So like, you know how Bray Wyatt, like later on, he was very much like his whole thing was like, I'm going to destroy WWE. You've always had like wrestlers come in and be like, I'm going to destroy this promotion and I'm going to do it by winning the championship and beating all your favorites in cage matches. But this new version of this gimmick would be like, I'm going to destroy this promotion by revealing your financial (laughs) indiscretions. (laughs) And it'd be like, oh, no, not that. Don't do that. Oh, my God. (laughs) Partners up with. OSHA employee. Instead of coming into Vince's hospital room and hitting him over the head with a bedpan, you could just come in and serve him with papers. Yeah. Absolutely. It's dastardly. Well, that's IRS. Thank you once again to Michael, and that was another edition of Guess the Gimmick. This is the end of our show. Neil, thank you so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. It was super fun having you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, babe. I don't know if you have anything to like plug or whatever, but you can just talk about how much you love Megan Bob if you want to. <laughs> Lots. Aw, thanks. <laughs> I love you too, babe. I mean, we love you too, Miles. Yeah, obviously. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Not in the same way. It's okay. I understand. <laughs> Hello, everyone. This is Miles. Just me here today. Megan Bob was not able to make things work to record this outro, unfortunately, and run a little bit short of time to record it. So it's just going to be me. Also, my wife is not here at the moment. I have been abandoned. So if you hear strange noises in the background, those would be the children. So <laughs> this is what we're doing today. I just wanted to say a quick thank you to Neil for being on the show today. Kind of ironic that Bob is not here to talk about that but neil thank you so much it was great having you been wanting to do it since we basically 
start of the podcast. So it was really awesome to have Neil on. Thank you also so much to those of you who support us over at patreon.com slash NXT wrestling fan. Cannot tell you how much that means to us, especially right now when we're paying the wonderful, brilliant, and frankly, extremely handsome Lucas Brown to edit our shows. Simon, my infant, agrees that Lucas Brown is a very attractive man. Do you want to come up here? All right, here we go. So Simon is with me now, so hopefully he'll uh, he'll stop making his feelings known. But that uh, little burst of emotion there happened as soon as I talked about how hot Lucas is, so I hope he appreciates that. Um, the Patreon money really, really helps us pay Lucas right now and help us keep the show going in a way that it was doing a little bit less literally before. So thank you so much. I'm not going to do any Next Wrestling Fan Federation updates today for what I hope are obvious reasons. But I do want to say that, you know, we had just recently started doing the thing where we talk a little bit about current wrestling. Since we recorded last or since we released last, Vincent Kennedy McMahon has, he calls it retired. I like to call it resigned in disgrace. Come see, come saw, potato, potato. But he's at least gone for now. Hopefully he's gone for good. I am very afraid that he's not, but you know, he might be. Hopefully he goes to jail. Hopefully more stuff comes out and all the things that he is, all the reasons he is quote unquote resigning, all of the uh, the scandal and the investigations that going on in his direction right now bear even more fruit than they have already. And it is enough to send him to prison for a long time because y'all know I'm prison abolitionist, but if anyone deserves to be in prison, Vince McMahon is going to be on the short list. Anyway... Happy about that. Triple H has taken over in the creative department, so that's pretty rad. Fruits have been born immediately. SummerSlam was good. The Raw after SummerSlam was good. Dakota Kai is back. Io Shirai is on the main roster. There's good things happening in wrestling right now, y'all. It actually, like, it feels like a really good time to be a wrestling fan in a way that intellectually I knew that Vince going away would make me feel this way, but, like, I wasn't prepared for the depth, the extent to which it feels so much better to be a wrestling fan now that Vince McMahon is not running things. So that's just awesome. Don't let the door hit you on the way out, buddy. Just really couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. So yeah, that's all I wanted to say about current wrestling. Simon, that opinion that you just expressed is inaccurate. That didn't even happen in that match. What are you talking about? He's upset about the DQ finish. In the women's match on Raw, I think it's still okay. In that case, I'm okay with a DQ finish. But, you know, this guy here is a traditionalist. He likes it when there's clean finishes. Anyway, thank you all so much for supporting the show, listening to our bullshit, supporting us financially. Really can't tell you how much it means to us. Even if you don't support us, if you're just here, if you're just hanging out with us along for the ride, we love you so much. We appreciate you so much we can't even say and we hope you'll join us in two weeks for a new episode of the next wrestling fan yeah the nxt wrestling fan is produced by lucas brown with logo design by claire mulcarin special thanks to rafael medina for his theme song learn buckle you can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at incompetech.filmmusic.io. We're on Twitter and Facebook at the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. 
You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The NXT Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash NXT Wrestling Fan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. Hey, Bay, what did your elf eyes hear? See. <laughs> I don't, don't want to know what your eyes heard. That's creepy. Oh, sorry. Hey, Bay, what did your elf eyes see? That was cool. Yeah, that was cool.